You're listening to the audio version of the Geek Apocalypse podcast, bought by yours truly, Mr. Resident Geek, Stephen Hesse. We are available on iTunes, as well on www.geekapocalypse.com. Broadcast live and exclusively from Newcastle, England, in good old UK. We also have a YouTube account, which is www.youtube.com forward slash geekapocalypse, where we'll be, we, we will be uploading all the videos from our podcast, as well as from Twitch. Speaking of Twitch, we are also just starting a Twitch account, which you can find at www.twitch.tv forward slash geekapocalypse, where you can follow us to find out all the streaming we will be doing on said site. Also, you can, if you want to know everything that we're absolutely up to, you can follow us on Twitter, which is at geek underscore apocalypse. Thank you so much for tuning in and enjoy being a geek. I don't think that this podcast gets any more geeky than the episode I'm about to reveal to you guys because anyone that knows me knows that I have a Star Trek tattoo, a voyage I want to be Pacific, and that I was super, super excited when I've been announcing this on Twitter. And it finally happened. Uh, we got the opportunity to speak to Alec Peters, who is from uh, Axana Productions, which are making a Star Trek independent film of the same name. You can find... Uh, more information, but obviously listen to the podcast first. You can find more information by going to StarTrekExana.com and uh, finding out all about uh, what they're up to. Uh, for those that don't know, a brief history about them. I know um, Alec goes into this in the podcast uh, when I ask about them, but it is an uh, independent film. It, they did a prelude to Exana, which uh, I actually have seen. It's on YouTube, and I recommend you go and look at it. I will put a link in the description so you can so you can click and watch it. And I absolutely adored it. It has, you know, Cade Vernon, um, Richard Hatch, and a bunch of others who have been, and Gary Graham, who is touched on throughout this podcast because everyone knows who listens to this. I end the podcast by saying crash and burn. So the idea of Gary Graham being in this is even just more uh, appealing. And what's interesting is he's actually playing a, a character from Enterprise. Uh, um, is it uh, Saval? Saval, the, the Vulcan from Enterprise, which is kind of cool. So anyway, yeah, so I saw the trailer that they that they promoted and did a premiere for at San Diego Comic Con. Then I watched the prelude and I thought this is awesome. And if uh, the guys, if you listen to uh, last week's episode, FCD Events touched on that Richard Hatch is going to be there and he's part of this project as well. Um, so I asked these guys to be on. Uh, they raised a huge sum of money in Indiegogo, but as they touched on, it's going to cost like nearly a million dollars to make this, as, uh, as Alec touched on. Uh, so, if you, But you can still donate, so if you want to do so, you can do so at their Indiegogo project. Again, there'll be a link in the description in iTunes and on our site, uh, so please do have a have a look. And, and, and I know for a fact that people who already listened to this and watched the live one on Twitch are already thinking of donating, which is awesome. And I'm thinking of doing the same thing, because I'm such a huge fan. Uh, as I mentioned, this is broadcast live on Twitch, so if you want to follow us on Twitch, you can get some live podcasts, which is twitch.tv forward slash geekapocalypse but this is really really awesome so we start tar trek talk about the independent stuff as well this is episode 87 with alec enjoy So much for 
everyone for uh, the del- sorry apologies for the delay. As per usual, what happens when I get American guests on is that I either I screw up the time or, or someone else does. So we're a little bit behind, and I'm glad I uh, uh, dropped uh, Alex an email just to let him know. But huge thank you to everyone who's checked out the podcast we've done on the Twitch channel so far. I really appreciate it. Um, and this is kind of really ironic in a sense because the last podcast we did was with FCD Events. Uh, who run a Star Trek convention here in the UK where we're based. And we actually, I actually spoke about uh, Star Trek Axana um, and said that I was re-watching it. And they said that they had Richard Hatch coming to the convention who is part of Star Trek Axana. And lo and behold, here we are doing a show with them, which is kind of awesome. So I'm a huge, huge fan of this. Um, which is why I was super, super excited to get, uh, in particular, Alec, who's our guest for this evening, on the show because I absolutely adore this. I think it's as much as close to Star Trek as it's been since it went off the television. So I'm super, super excited to to get to ask questions because everyone who follows this podcast is aware of how much of a huge nut I am for Star Trek. I, I'll, I'll let Alex know because I know he can hear me is that uh, I have a Star Trek Voyager tattoo. So I think that kind of tells you <laughs> all you need to know about me. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I absolutely adore uh, uh, the Star Trek in all its its glory. So uh, without further ado, I'm hugely uh, honoured to have Mr. Alec Peters on the show. Hello, good sir. Let's just wait for it to load. Hello. Hello. How are you? I am awesome. How are you, good sir? Well, good. I, you know, I, I just woke up like, 20 minutes ago and i roll into the kitchen and i go oh good it's it's only nine o'clock i've got an hour until the till, till the show so um, that might be my I'm glad fault. you emailed me i was like uh-oh better and, and i was like in such a rush i was like oh I better comb my hair and then i'm looking at you going holy heck my hair looks great. <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> yeah exactly yeah man. yeah exactly that's why i do it to put the guests at ease i'm just like that's how yeah, you, know. <laughs> you are Pro. <laughs> always, any, thinking, always thinking of the talent. Exactly, yeah. Any any tricks of the trades I can do to make people feel comfortable, that's what I'm gonna do. So yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's all good. But as I as I as I touched on with the introduction, and I hope you don't mind me saying I, I'm really, really was looking forward to this podcast. Um as I say, we had the guy from FCD events who do Star Trek stuff and they talked glowingly about Richard Hatch and about how involved he is in obviously in Star Trek and Axana uh, and he was in the prelude as well. Um, so we can obviously talk about that uh, in great detail. And one of the great things about podcasting is you can get the context and you can talk openly about various different things. But I thought, I suppose the first thing to say to you is is congratulations on, on everything that's been going on. I imagine I imagine you probably have to pinch yourself some of the time. I mean, did you did you think when you first started for, was it $10,000, I think, was the original amount that you asked for? And to yeah, think, for and, pre- yeah, for pre- the prelude, yeah. And to think... And by the way, well, let's just get it. It's Axenar. Axenar. Am I saying it wrong? Yeah, I apologize. Axenar. <laughs> so I know, I know we share a common language. Yeah, yeah. And it separates us sometimes, but that's how you pronounce it in any part of the galaxy. To be fair, to be fair, at what, what I'll just give you the quick segue before we started this, and I and I watched the prelude again. I'm going. I bet I'm going to say it wrong because my <laughs> disle- my dyslexia is. I'm look. I keep looking at it, and my dyslexia wants to say it reverse, which is very frustrating like x's don't do x's make my dyslexia a little bit hard so i'm kind of reading it going i want to do i I keep i'm and believe me you know like you'd think for a podcast host you'd have let's have a set number of questions let's figure out what i'm gonna ask and i'm going 
Right, you say it this way, you say it this way, and I got it uh, wrong anyway. Gosh. Oh, well. <laughs> well, listen, we have, I mean, we, we keep joking about um, Tony Todd because uh, we, we could not get him to say Inverness. He, All right, he, yes. He, yeah, he kept saying Inverness. And, <laughs> and, and we were like, no, it's Inverness. And, and he could not get that one right. So we're like, okay, whatever. It's, you know, it's 200 years from now. Who knows what people are saying? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So in the far from future, dyslexia is totally cool. Well, um, I mean, I'm from Newcastle, so I'm not far from Scotland. So there you uh, go. There so, yeah, it's not, not a bad segue. Uh, <laughs> I'm quite close. To, I'm quite close to Inverness, as you say. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a, there's a touch. So as I was, as I was touching on with the, well, you know, as as I just said, uh, Alex is a little quiet. Okay, is there any chance you could turn yourself up a little bit, um, Alex? Uh, with, yeah. In the chat, we're saying that you're a little quiet. Uh, let's see if there's mm. any. Uh, unfortunate, no. And I, I'm using. My, unfortunately, I don't have my microphone here that I usually use. How about if I just speak a little louder? Does that sound better? Yeah, that if sounds I, a little better. I don't know whether you've, right. moved, you've moved yourself closer. Um, yeah, I might right. turn my if I'm it says I'm loud, so I might turn my me, myself a bit down as well. I can do that on my end. So cool, I thanks. And, I will try and speak louder, and uh, you can see I'm I'm wearing my XNR T-shirt here. Um, um, yeah, yeah, I noticed. I was really happy. You know, I'll 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 tell you I'll tell you something really quick, Alex. That when I when I watched the um when I watched back the prelude and saw you in your uh, Star Trek captain's uniform, I'm kind of was hoping you'd be wearing that. <laughs> but hey, it, that's close enough, right? You know, I'm I'm really happy with that. Um, but anyway, as we, as we were touching on, thanks guys. By the way, people who are in chat now, thank you so much for for, for letting me know. Uh, any issues with sound, please do let me know, guys, because obviously we have to have it on mute. Uh, so anyway, so as I was saying, so when you originally started uh, the prelude, uh, which is on YouTube for those that are interested, uh, if you want to watch it, um, is to talk about the fact that you only originally wanted $10,000 and then you ended up getting a huge amount of money. So I guess the first question to start the podcast is to say, did you really, and I know the Star Trek community is such a big, wide audience, did you really expect that to happen when you first started the project? Oh God, no! I, I mean, we're talking a year and a half ago now, and we know, really, yeah. we didn't know what to expect. We, you know, we, um, we had. Done, I thought we had done a very professional video for 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 the Prelude Tax in our Kickstarter. Yeah, um, it was. We worked hard on it. We had a professional, deep, an Emmy-winning uh, director of photography. Uh, it, it was very. Um, Overall, it was really well done, and we were very proud of it. But we didn't know what that meant. Mm -hmm. So, when we put it up and we we hit our goal of ten thousand dollars in in seven hours, we were out of our mind. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, um, because it really, you know, I had done a rough estimate saying, "Oh, I think we can do this on twenty grand." Yeah. And it was like five grand for the talent, and it was going to be five grand for the visual effects, and then like. Five grand for you know we had it all the, the makeup and then well that was kind of you know ultimately the whole thing the whole project prelude cost us one hundred twenty five thousand dollars wow okay. so you know raising we were lucky we raised the hundred and one um, yeah <laughs> so what did and, you do with uh, the difference how did you work around the difference basically we paid you know one hundred and one only really netted us about um, what was it eighty eighty I'm trying to think eighty um, it was about nine. I guess it was around nine because you look. You lose ten. You lose ten percent to Kickstarter and to Amazon payments. Yeah. Uh, so so a lot I of think people don't know. Out. This is something we touch on on the podcast all the time. A lot of people don't know that's how it works. Oh yeah. 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 And then and then 
and then you have to pay for all the perks and all the shipping, and, and you you never plan on that. Yeah. You 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 never uh, expect it to be as expensive as, as as it's going to be. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, yeah. So that that was um that was surprising to us. Um, but what we did was we we paid for what we had, and then we immediately started the Axonar Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So the Axonar Kickstarter actually was able to pay, pay for the overflow from the Prelude Kickstarter. So mm-hmm. it worked out. It worked out well. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a total shock to us, and so it was what allowed us to make Prelude and make Prelude so good. Um, and then um, when we did the first Kickstarter last year, mm-hmm. which was really for the infrastructure, we we basically said in that Kickstarter, look, we need to rent a facility, we need to build sets, we need to retrofit the studio to be a soundstage, so it's yeah, not a warehouse. Exactly, yeah. We, do pre-production, you know, and it's going to cost X. Um, you know, we I think all that was going to be like three hundred thousand, three hundred fifty thousand dollars, and uh, it's cost way more than that. You know, so shock to us, it's like, oh wow, things are really, you know, things are not as inexpensive as you would like. Mm-hmm. So, um, but now this Indiegogo, which we just concluded, but you can still donate to, actually. I was going to ask uh, that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that is that is um, for the production itself, for actually filming. Mm-hmm. Now we still have ongoing expenses, but we 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 make those. Exp- you know, we're making that up with other things, mm-hmm. uh, other donations that we're doing in other projects. We're doing like our book projects. We're um, we're doing the Four Years War anthology series, and we're doing the Ships of Axanar. Those are two books that mm-hmm. we're we're writing. Uh, so those things help fund the studio and the, and so on. So it's a uh, it's yes. So the answer to your question it has gotten way bigger than we thought it would be. I mean, no, listen, I tell people, you know, two years ago this was a glorified fan film. Mm-hmm. We were going to go up to New York to uh, uh, Star Trek Phase Two sets, and we were going to modify those sets and shoot up there. Yeah. And you know, the whole thing was going to cost us like two hundred grand. Mm-hmm. Well, here we are, two years later, and the budget's like nine hundred grand. Uh, and it's a you know, and everyone expects a studio quality movie now yeah you know no one's going to accept a a fan film yeah i was going to touch on that actually that was something i'm glad you mentioned that because one of the things i noticed in particular when i when i sort of delved into some research into this is that that's very funny you say that because i think originally i think it's fair for me to say that it was promoted very much so as a fan-made film it was very much promoted that way Uh, and then now what i find interesting is when they when you talk about um you know the 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 new film, the the feature film. It's regarded now as an independent film, so it's almost like it's had a sort of upgrade. Uh, and not not necessarily that there's some there's some great fan made films out there, but I just find it interesting yeah. that it seems to feel like the media in itself has kind of self is sort of give it a self promotion, uh, sort of a, a lieutenant commander at the commander, if you will. <laughs> like like um, in the it has in a sense it's be kind of regarded now as the. Uh, because you know, independent, uh, I think it's fair to say, is regarded now as sort of like a more professional setup. It's like uh, it's the it's the stage before you get to, you know, sort of the the mainstream players. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, I think um, you know we we try not to call ourselves a fan film because, um, with again, no disrespect to fan films, which are you know have come a very long way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and uh, they're they're very you know they're very well done these days. You look at Star Trek: New Voyages or Star Trek Continues or Star Trek uh, Gods and uh, Men. Uh, Gods and Men wasn't it? Wasn't that a fan? Yeah, Gods. Yeah. You know, 
their 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 production values have come up significantly. They yeah. all have sets. I mean, it's crazy to think that there's four different Star Trek bridges in the United States. I know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's crazy. So, um, uh, so yeah. So the, the 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 and and filmmaking in general has become democratized because the, it's so inexpensive to get professional cameras. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the cameras the movie studios are using cost thirty thousand dollars, but you can get a camera for five thousand dollars that does you know practically the same thing. Mm -hmm. So the democratization of filmmaking has changed everything. Yeah. And um, uh, so, yeah, so I think fan films are pretty good. But I think we also are cognizant of the fact that fan films still have limitations. And despite all the love and passion that are put into them, they're still – the stories are often rather, you know, rather bland or it's all amateur actors. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 uh, you know I know Star Trek: New Voyages has done a great job in bringing in professional actors to play Kirk and Spock, yeah. which I think, which is wonderful. And Brian, I know Brian Gross and Brandon Stacy, and I've worked with both of them, and they're wonderful, mm -hmm. wonderful actors. Um, and uh, and so that's a good step up, and and I would encourage encourage that. But as long as there's that, you know, amateur filmmaking, hey, let's get our friends together and let's make Star Trek, uh, it, it has a limited appeal. Yeah. Um, not everyone wants to watch a fan film, mm -hmm. and uh, um, and and that's and, and I think since the two big fan films, Star Trek: New Voyages and Star Trek Continues, are both recreations of the original series with new actors playing Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. There is again a limited audience for that because now you need people who like Star Trek. But are nostalgic for the original series Makes, and want yeah. to support that, mm -hmm. right? Which is an even smaller subset. So you know, when uh, I, I think, and this is the big difference, which again, it's not a, a good or bad, and it's not a, it's not knocking the fan films because I no, yeah. worked as a producer on Star Trek: New Voyages. That's how I got my start, and and Axnar owes its start to Star Trek: New Voyages and James Cawley. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what they're doing. Which is this incredible? Um, it's a love letter to the original series, is what it is. Yeah, yeah. And and because of that, it's a limited audience. Not everyone feels that way about the original series. I do because, heck, I'm old and I watched it on the original when it was originally on TV. But mm -hmm. most people aren't, mm -hmm. and most Star Trek fans nowadays grew up on Next Generation. I and, did. Uh, uh, yeah, Next Generation was uh, came out the year I was born. So, um, so yeah, my, my the first one I ever watched was, and the only time I ever saw the original series was through my dad. My dad was a huge original series fan. So right, yeah. right. So it's it often is our parents' Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's our Star Trek, right? It's mine because I'm old, but you're <laughs> young. So you, yeah. you know, it's a generational thing. So, um, so anyway, the, and the reason I say this is. Axanar's appeal, which is across Star Trek fandom, mm -hmm. it seems. I mean, we rarely find anyone who doesn't have a very positive reaction to Axanar, mm -hmm. and that's why we can raise, you know, go out and raise half a million dollars at a shot, is because fandom in general loves what we're doing. Mm -hmm. It's not a recreation of the original Star Trek. It's not a fan film per se, in that the things that are dictate what fan films are. It's this uh, amazing Star Trek. That is set in a time period you haven't seen before. Yeah. So it's not high bound by a certain style. Let's face it. TOS is a fifty-year-old vision of the future. 
I mean, when we're talking mini skirts and big round buttons on consoles and and there's so you know and paper coming out of computers i mean really there's <laughs> yeah but you think a lot of people had to be, it was because of the limitations of the time as well i think that's something no one yeah. ever no one ever uh sort of says that when they look at the original series and go well you know wow it's so different i'm like not only is it because it was done in originally in the 60s but but because of the fact that you know they were limited by that we can only do this for special effects we can only do this you know so yeah, so it's not necessarily that they had a lack of imagination. It was just limited imagination, I think, is the best way of phrasing it. Um, Listen, it was it was actually, it was budget constrained, mm-hmm. and it was limited by the time and mm-hmm. the vision of the future at the time. I mean, I think now we also have a much, we have a much more sophisticated vision of the future. Um, uh, but, and, and the vision of the future is always changing. Let's face it, 50 years from now, our vision of the future is going to be totally different than it exactly, is Exactly, yeah. And we don't know what that is, and we're always trying to guess, especially in filmmaking, you're trying to guess what is it going to be like 200 years in the future, 300 years in the future. And um, uh, I think the difference is uh, nowadays we often tend to think that the vision of the future is going to be dark and gritty. It's going to be Battlestar Galactica. It's not yeah, going to yeah. be just bright and shiny. So um, so those are things. But Galactic th- those, Wars, basically. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. So um, – I think start uh, what Axonar does is we bring, you know, that bright, shiny vision of the future, and um, I, it was interesting because Richard Hatch. I had lunch with Richard Hatch yesterday, cool. and 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 um, he was asking me why, you know, what is it about Axonar? And I and and there's a great um, there's a great speaker in the United States uh, uh, whose in, uh, information I I, I uh, get every day called Simon Sinek S I N E K. And he had a great uh, TED Talk, if you're familiar with what TED Talks are. Yeah, I love TED Talks. They're yeah. awesome. Yeah, They're yeah, awesome. That's brilliant. such a great way to improve your life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in his TED Talk, he said that the, the different success is really about belief. And you get people to buy into your belief, yeah. not product. Mm-hmm. And he says the reason Apple is great isn't because Apple says, hey, we make great computers. Here's why. Come buy them. He says the reason Apple is great is because Apple says – Here's what we believe in. Oh, and we make great computers. You want to buy one? Yeah, yeah. And it's not just that. It's also like kind of the the we're the best. And if you don't think you're the, we're the best, but well, we do. So it's like yeah. that's what, that's the impression I get off them. It's just because they're aware they've got competitors. But I think there's right. an element of you just don't, don't have to care. You don't. Have you to don't care. care. Right. Apple yeah. doesn't care about care. Apple's saying this is what we do well. Yeah. We 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 believe in a great life. Mm-hmm. We believe in a connected life. We believe, you know. And so you go, yeah, I believe in that. Uh, so and and so I was explaining to Richard. I he's like, why do people love Axonar? And I said, it's because they they know, they they buy into our belief system. Mm-hmm. They buy into the and and he said and Richard said, well, what is that? What is you the beliefs? I said, our fans know that we believe that Star Trek is important. That we believe that Star Trek has a bright vision of the future where our principles and our morals are important. Yeah. And and they believe that Rob and I are great stewards of Star Trek because we're just like you. We are Star Trek geeks. Yeah, yeah. So so it's like it's not like JJ Abrams making Star Trek or Rick Berman making Star Trek. It's like your buddy making Star Trek. It's your, you know, it's your buddy who you go down to the pub with and have a fight with on Friday nights and argue about what's the best Star Trek episode. Yeah, yeah. No, and, I agree. And, and and you know, and you go, oh, you know, I trust him. 
and and people trust us uh, mm-hmm. uh, to and and the reason is I'm on podcasts all the time and I'm online all the time. I'm on our Facebook group every single day. Yeah, yeah. As much as I can, you know, saying, "Hey, yeah, we agree or uh, here's what we think. What do you think?" or mm-hmm. you know, and so there's this there's this dialogue between us and the fans which has allowed the fans to realize, "Wow, Alec and Rob are bigger geeks than we are." You know, and yeah. uh, which because we probably are. It's sad. <laughs> oh, that's not sad. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, we love it. We love it. And, and, and saying that it's um, because our also listen. We also respect Star Trek fans because our vision of a Star Trek fan is isn't the guy living in his mom's basement. Mm-hmm. Our vision of a Star Trek fan is what we are, which is we're successful, smart, fun people. Who we want to be friends with. I want mm-hmm. to be friends with Rob. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. And and Rob and I are friends because we're both Star Trek fans. And, you know, uh, I, we go out with our fans all the – you know, at conventions, the best part is the fans come up to us and then – and we, you know, we get to talk with them and we share our feelings about Star Trek and then we go out and have dinner together and we go out and have, you know, a drink together. And, and we all realize that we're one big Star Trek community that just wants great Star Trek. Yeah. And, and that's why we um, – that's why we support others, all the Star Trek fan films. Mm-hmm. I mean, I start. Hey, Star Trek Intrepid is by you. Um, you know, Star Trek Intrepid is done in Scotland by Nick Cook and his crew. Yeah, yeah. And and we love it here in the United States because we think it's hysterical to see a ship full of people with a Scottish accent. But um, <laughs> so uh, you know, it's, it's, and Nick's a good friend of mine, and and we, you know, and. At one point, I had like all these distressed Star Trek uniforms that were the style that he uses, and I just carted him up and sent him off to him because I was like, "Look, this here's a little a little itty bitty way that I can help Nick." Mm-hmm. And I helped Star Trek Phase Two raise money last year and and got them a new facility and helped them finish one. Of, I you know helping fan films is part of what we do because mm-hmm. we're not competitive with other fan, fan films. Yeah, we're co- collaborative with other fan films. We we want Star Trek to be bigger and bigger. We want, you know, to you know, just as New Voyages is kind of the granddaddy of Star Trek fan films. You know, we want to be like the Godfather. Yeah, it's funny. It's <laughs> it's Godfather. It's funny that um, it's funny you say that because I think it's funny out of all the people that we've we've spoken to in the podcast, that seems to be something that people never truly understand because they think if you're in the same field, you have to be competitive. You have to be. You have to not like each other. I mean, like for example. Uh, whenever we speak to board game companies, because we go to like the big board game convention here, and one of the things I love about them is they're so they're so intertwined with each other. They 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 let each other share ideas. One of the things the board game companies agreed on was the premise of that they don't uh, patent like uh, mechanics in games, oh, so you can great. re so you can redistribute them and tweak them and various other things because they're aware of if you start pat you know patent putting patents on them you've destroyed the industry entirely um or you you make it that everyone has to come up with something new when as why when it's something like that works and you can look at an old you can look at a new board game now and if you're a nerd for board games like i am you can then look back and go well actually is a very similar mechanic that was used 40 years ago that they've just intertwined And it's the same with podcasting. It's like we're doing a lot of uh, cross promotion for the FCD events, which you mentioned earlier. And there's been people who are like, "Why are you collaborating with each other? Aren't you?" And I'm like, "Because we're all part of the same thing. We're not. We're not all competing to go to the convention. We're already there. <laughs> so we just. So why wouldn't we do that? So, well, you know, I'm a I'm a big um, Warhammer gamer myself. All right, cool. 
and I play Warhammer. I've been playing Warhammer 40,000 since yeah. 98, 99. And, uh, Actually had a game store for about a year. I, I started nice. a game store uh, before I did Axnar. So yeah, it's been really you know uh, I I love I love that. I have a massive Warhammer 40k army, and uh, but That's and cool. I go over to Nottingham to do Games Workshop headquarters for some of their events. Nice. But Games Workshop hasn't gotten that. They don't get the cooperation thing, and they sued one of the companies that was making aftermarket parts mm-hmm. for them. And um, and it was like, wow, that's kind of narrow-minded. And they, and they tried to, and they try, they literally tried to trademark the term "space marine," which they didn't even create. And it's like, yeah. guys, that's the wrong attitude to have. The attitude is co- cooperation, coopetition, as they call it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's that we all work together, work to build the market, make the market. You know, we always said it because I come from technology. Um, uh, I'm a technology entrepreneur. Uh, in a previous life, and we, <laughs> you know, we said grow the pie. Mm-hmm. My job isn't to steal other people's customers. My job is to grow the pie. And so, when I hear another Star Trek fan film bad mouthing Axanar, it's sad, um, and and most don't. But you know, we have, we're constantly dealing with one that does, and we're like, wow, why are you doing that? It, it's it's there's no reason other than insecurity and jealousy to badmouth another fan film mm-hmm. um, because uh, you know whether you like the other fan films or not you don't have to watch them mm-hmm. why not support everyone's dream everyone's dream is here in is making Star Trek mm-hmm. and and so it's I think making Star Trek is a it's you know it's like a holy cause and <laughs> and everyone should be supported in that you know it's it's yeah. it's you know I have a friend Mike King who does Star Trek Valiant um, who did well, this one little episode, his little like kind of prequel, and even Mike Demerit, our line producer, who worked on Star Trek for 11 years, all of Star Trek Voyager or of Enterprise, he saw Mike King's uh, Valiant and he was like, this was really good. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a fan film. It's clearly a fan film with non-professional actors. But man, it's pretty good. You know, they got it. They got a story. They've got, a, uh, you know, it's, I, I, I watched it and I was like, wow, this was pretty damn good. No, so we're supporting. Are you there still there, Peter? Hello? Oh, we've lost him for a sec. Is he back? Hello? 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 Oh, apologies, guys. He's because he's, uh, I just see, I saw I got a random connection error there. Let's try and get him back. Let's try and get him back. Let's try and Uh, get him back. Hello, are you back? I can hear you. There you go. It's refreshing. Hello. Oh, no, is it? Refresh, refresh, refresh. Yeah, we got a connection error a second ago. Oh, there we go. Hang on, I'll put it on here. Are we having, are we having issues? Yeah, we're having technical issues. Let's see. Oh, yeah, because I'm on the wrong. Hold on. Hello, Broughton Veteran. Sorry, yeah. Sorry, guys, who are in the chat right now. Apologies. There's some sort of some sort of technical error. I'll try and get them back. Are you there? I can hear you, but your, uh, your video's not working, so... Why is it not working? I don't. You want me to hang up and call me right back? I'm refreshing my page just to see if it's me. Uh, uh, we just got a buffering window. Yeah, it might be worth restarting the call. Um, so bear, right. bear with us, guys. We'll just restart the call. Sorry, guys. Sorry, that was very interesting. But we've had uh, some technical issues there, so we'll be right back in a sec. Um, let's get him to redo it. See, this works. There you go, you're back. Hello. Oh, good. 
No worries. I just said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting. Sometimes what's amazing is that it, it works so good considering we're on opposite sides of the world. Yeah, know? well, it's. Um, I'm getting jip in my chat because uh, they they joke because we have we um I'm I'm broadcasting this on Twitch and we have a full time Twitch account so we stream games on there all the time and oh. I always uh, I always get jip about um the tech goblins <laughs> they keep joking with me saying that uh, I I keep um attacking the tech goblins and that's what's happening but yeah anyway so um uh, what is what is your twi is uh, what is your Twitch channel it's the same as uh, it's the same as this one. Uh, it's the same name as this, so it's twitch.tv forward slash geekapocalypse. Um, I've been tweeting. Uh, I've been tweeting on the with, with uh, the Star Trek Axana uh, thing. So hopefully we get some interest. Oh, excellent. Ooh. excellent. Yeah, we. Uh... Oh, the broadcast is intended for mature audiences. Yeah, well, I, I put that that's... on because we play we play like over eighteen games and what other stuff. So you know. Um, Oh, well, I, I have to and you say need, that if I... you are if you are watching the stream, by the way, Alec, you'll need to meet it because we'll get um yeah, we'll get just feedback. Did, yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah, I, I'm also a yeah, I'm also a video gamer. I play Battlefield. Oh, uh, nice. Which ones? Which one? Uh, well, Battle right now, Battlefield Four. Mm -hmm. uh, but I haven't played it in a few months just because I've been so busy with Axonar, and I know all my buddies are just hate hating me because. Uh, I, I've been MIA for months now, and, my, and then I had a computer <laughs> problem, and so the, the computer's not even set up now. So I gotta figure it out. But yeah, so um, I'm anyway. an all around. I'm a I'm a multi geek. Yeah, awesome. Well, well, you're welcome on this podcast, then. That's awesome. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So there was a couple of things. There was one thing in particular you touched on because fan fan made ones are quite interesting because um, whenever anyone brings up on the podcast fan made stuff, I always think about the uh, Lord of the Rings one that was made about Aragon's parents. I'm trying to remember the name of it now, but um but yeah, that was a really really well done one. It was done here in the uh, in England and it was in, and some people joked who were Lord of the Rings fans that it was actually better than some of the stuff in the Lord of the Rings. Um and but I and I, but one of the reasons I think it was successful is because they took a part of the original Lord of the Rings that wasn't used in the films. And then they um and then they crowbarred that out and made it into a fan made thing. So what that leads me to ask you in relation to the 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 specific amount of time that you focused on doing your films you know what made you decide to do the sort of klingon federation war and that sort of four-year period like what made you originally decide to do that well um i knew i wanted to do the story of garth of isar mm -hmm. so um and um i we take his part you know there's a lot of source material that's non-canon but was licensed like fast the role-playing games from the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. So Facet came out with that series of games and one of the supplements was the Four Years War. And it was all about the war with the Klingons, which made total sense because I'm sure there was a war with the Klingons, right? And uh um, God, I love so, the war with the Klingons. <laughs> yeah, that's what I did. Always so works. I was, really, I was really into the, you know, I was always really into the tech, the ships. I'm like, oh, okay, so, you know, what are all the different ships and what were the ships before the constitution and so on and so forth. And so, um, we started kind of building this backstory mm -hmm. and we, and we, and I, tr and I didn't want to just take it from FASA because I didn't agree with everything that, you know, the FASA, FASA, uh, what was going on with FASA in their timeline. So I said, okay, well, here's FASA's timeline, but let's put a timeline together that could work in Canon that could work in, cause you know, a lot of stuff from FASA was, you know, it was never canon. It was always a licensed product. Mm -hmm. And so we said, let's 
work something that could work in Canon. And so I started with the date of 2245, which was the launch of the Enterprise. And I yeah. said, uh, and, and I always wanted to see this war before the Constitutions. You know, I, and so I said, well, what if the Constitution class and then the Klingon D7, the, the, the Klingon ship we see in the original series, were like that those were the main ships of the line in TOS era. So what were what bef was before them? What were the ships before the, they came online? And maybe they were the final answer in the war. They were the the big dreadnoughts of their time before they went so, on the like explorer type yeah, you know, exactly. ships. Yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So what what did it? And so that's how we kind of did it. I said, okay, twenty two five twenty two forty five was the launch of the Enterprise, and then we just extrapolate back up on Garth Sage and Robert April, the first captain of the eight. eight, eight Enterprise, his age, mm -hmm. and then we, you know, I basically crafted this story, and then, and then we started writing the story about the war with the Klingons, and we said, okay, what happened in this war, and how did the war come about, and and what, you know, what did it mean, and and um, and we just kind of wrote what we what we wanted to see, and uh, um, and it's interesting because a good friend Stephen Fender has taken the Fasten books. And written a series of four novels called the Four Years War, so he's basically taken the actual FASA timeline and made a not series of novels, which are awesome, which I have right here. Nice. And 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 um, but it's a different timeline. Yeah. Than ours. So you know, listen, Star Trek is the, the is the multiverse, and and you know that's the way I view it. And uh, so we're we're one. We're trying to work in what we call the canon timeline, but. Let's face it, we're not canon. So um, yeah, exactly. Uh, they're not gonna they're not gonna uh, listen to you, uh, uh, Alec, if, in any of the films because they didn't yet. do that. <laughs> not yet. Yeah, exactly. Future stuff, mate. Yeah, let's let's be positive. But uh, I just I laughed just because you know when they obviously got rid of the Vulcan home planet. I mean, I'm a I'm a Star Trek Online fan, and they had a whole area dedicated to that, and they were like, "What have you done? We've got to <laughs> we've got to we've got to change the whole section now because you've just decided to." Because you know Star Trek Online, Star Trek Online is one of the few ones that I love that they try and what one of the things I think it's one of the best MMOs in terms of you know realism and is that they are, try and add everything that's happened, even the sort of the not as you say the the non canons that the the people say like the books that were in between is, certain is, is, things. Is, Sorry, is, so is Vulcan gone in Star Trek Online? Uh, they changed it, yeah. They you know how like it got in the timeline of the the Star Trek the the first new one the JJ that JJ did yeah they yes. um they they had that as a playable home world like for the for the vulcan race and they then basically decided to get the people who came the game together and went well what do we do do we ignore the film that just came out because um yeah ignore uh, it but, um, but they didn't uh they did they they oh. then they eventually moved to a new home planet and but they do all sorts of good stuff like they've added a lot they, they, they kept a lot of the the canon stuff later on and uh, we could have set fifty years after Voyager, so like they they right. they they took they took um they took some of the stuff after, which was quite interesting. But obviously, with it being fifty years after, it's like, well, that's technically already happened. So so it's just they were just like, oh my god, what are you doing, JJ? This is just ruining everything. But anyway, but but um but yeah, this this so it's I I completely understand, and I think that was a really great decision you made, as I just touched on, like with the Lord of the Rings, that you decided to to have, pick a Pacific setting and a Pacific time and then work on that. Because I think, to go back to what you said earlier in the show, if you decided to do a thing where 
where you just were rehashing something or redoing something that was already done, I don't think you would get as much interest. Is that a fair is that a fair thing to, to say? Absolutely. I don't think people want to see uh, anything they've already seen rehashed uh, as much. You know, there's, like I said, there's always fans. But, um, uh, and they don't want to see just another crew, right? Um, I mean, what uh, do we, you think? I mean, being fans of the being fans of the original, what was your what was your reaction when you heard that JJ was just going to do the original series and rehash it and modernize it? What was your view being of being an well, original fan? Yeah, I, I mean, I, it made sense to me. Um, I was like, okay, well, let's see what he does. Um, mm. And I liked the first movie. Um, I, I didn't like well. Vulcan, <laughs> but uh, I, I, you know, the the, the the first movie I which I saw four times in the movie theater. Nice. Um, which is more than any other movie I've ever seen in, in the movie theater. Um, <laughs> nice. But uh, the, the, there was a lot of good energy that came out of it. My problem with the J.J. movies is that he didn't learn anything in the second movie. All the mistakes he made in the first movie, he just multiplied in the second movie yeah. rather than correct. And you'd think he would have listened to Robert Orsi, who is the one Star Trek guy, you know, he had. Yeah. Because basically, they basically said no Star Trek people on this Star Trek movie in 2009. Oh, no, yeah. Which is incredibly naive in my book. Yeah, it's, it's it, you know, what you want is you want a, a blend of the old with the new, all right? Star Trek needed something new. They needed a new energy. They needed a different way of looking at Star Trek, which they got. But they also needed reverence for the old, which I really kind of feel that J.J. paid lip service to with Spock. And, 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 and there's, there's, again, in 2009, there's some great stuff. I love, there's some stuff I love about the 2009 movie. Mm -hmm. um, I love Ben Cross as Sarek. I just, oh, he's awesome. And, um, and, and I like that they tried to, to, to explain that it was now an alternate timeline. That's mm -hmm. great. You know, um, nothing is changed in, in the Star Trek we know and love. But, you know, certain things, I, I, Star Trek fans are very smart. Mm -hmm. And, and we, we, yeah, yeah, and there's certain things that, you know, uh, the fact that Spock jettisons Kirk onto an ice planet, Delta Vec, makes no sense. <laughs> the captain ever would do that. You throw the guy in the brig. But it, that, so there's this contrived plot point there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, so things like that and, and, and the giant monsters and, uh, you know, uh, all right. And I, so I always say there were a lot of gimmies. I had to, had to throw a lot of gimmies at this movie. All mm -hmm. right, I'll give, I'll, I'll give you that. I, yeah, you know, yeah. I liked it. It energized the franchise. It brought a lot of Star Trek fans in. Great. And then Into Darkness comes along and you're like, wow, you learn nothing. <laughs> you learn nothing from the reaction of the fans. So I now, absolutely hated it. No, I you're really did. Remaking the most beloved Star Trek movie of all time, and you're doing it in such a way. I mean, that's my two biggest grievances of that movie are. So now, based on that movie, we can transport anywhere in the galaxy. We, you know, we don't need Starfleet anymore because we now can just transport from place to place, mm -hmm. and everyone lives forever because of Khan's blood. That's what you're telling me. Mm -hmm. So it was in, in intellectually. Um, uh, 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 naive. Should I... <laughs> Let's just use that. Naive, um, it, it, which is insulting to Star Trek fans. Mm -hmm. And Star Trek fans are very smart. I don't care if you want to make Star Trek for the masses. 
but you at least have to be smart and honor the Star Trek fans Absolutely, who are yeah. watching your movie. Granted, we're not the ones making you $450 million. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, let's face it, Nemesis mm. only made 100 and something million dollars, whatever. Mm. But at least respect them. And, and I don't think that J.J. respected Star Trek fans. What's ironic is he goes to Star Wars now and look at Star Wars. He's, he's slavish to the original Star Wars. Slave it. Yeah, this is what? literally what we were just what I was thinking when we were touching about it. We were talking about it earlier that I think one of the one of the the interesting parts about it is we're slamming him for what he did for Star Trek. Well, not slamming him, but we're saying that he didn't like sort of adhere to you know was, they, they weren't terrible films, but as we're saying, I don't think they adhered to the sort of Star Trek canon, and he was not that sort of you know pedantic about wanting to keep keep it as original as possible. And instead, what he ended up doing. As you're saying, with the but with the Star Wars one, he's like, you're gonna have this, you're gonna have this, you're gonna have this. We're not gonna do this. We're not gonna do this. And to your point, why didn't he do that during the first, between the first and second film? As he goes, right, okay, this is what we did wrong in this one. Let's not make that same mistake. And instead, as your point, as you're quite, right, as I think you're spot on in saying, he seemed to have just times the amount of things he did wrong and just goes, we're just, we're gonna do more things that make no sense. Um, and I just think the first film was 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 based around the reveal, like the sort of the cr the reveal of the crew becoming the crew, like Kirk becoming Kirk, Spock becoming Spock, etc. And now you've got the reveal done of that this is the crew, and they're on that sort of first sort of mission or the first mission that you see anyway. And I think that he just suddenly was like, "What direction do we take this film in?" And as I was watching this film, I was kind of going, "I'm not really sure they know where they're heading with this." It's just like we'll do this reveal here, we'll do this reveal here. But I'm was watching it going, "Yeah." It doesn't seem to feel like there'd be a chronological sense as to where this is heading to. It's just like, this happens, this happens, this happens. Uh, it's like a series of sketches all put into one. That's what it felt like to me or something like that. But I don't know whether I'm writing that. That's just how I viewed it. Um, no, and, and, and I guess I agree with you. Uh, you know, I, I think, that, and this is why I think Axonar is, is so well received, is because yeah. people know we respect them, that we're, we respect Star Trek fans. It's, it's, it's you know... Unfortunately, J.J.'s Star Trek movies have become these prequels, the Star Wars prequels of Star Trek. Yeah, exactly. They, they, they really have. It's like, wow, this isn't what we signed up for. Um, and, and, and I think this, it adds fuel to Axanar um, because people look at Axanar. Uh, God, we had this, this one girl on, on our fan group, and she said she showed her mom Axanar the other day because she's the original Star Trek you know, uh, Star, Star Trek fan in her family. And her mom said, this is the best Star Trek I've ever seen. Nice. Wow. <laughs> is there ever, you know, thanks mom. That is like that, you know, that's like what your mom tells you. Oh, oh honey, this is so good. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it made us feel great because thank you. That's, that's just the ultimate compliment. Um, we want Star Trek fans to love it. Um, and listen, we want great Star Trek. I, I am, ex and I will say as much as not big on, into Darkness, we're really excited for Star Trek Beyond mm -hmm. because Rob and I are big Justin Lin fans. Mm -hmm. Fast and the Furious Five and Six. I was happy when I heard he was doing it. Yeah, I was yeah, happy. So yeah. was I. So was I. So we're thinking, okay, JJ's off doing Star Wars. God bless you. Um, this new Star Wars movie looks awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's see what Justin Lin gets to do. And and uh, uh, keeping my fingers crossed that he, you know, that it's it's. You know, good Star Trek mm -hmm. um, because we want good Star Trek. We want it to be exciting. And, and yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. uh, one of the things that I wanted to touch on because one of the things that I found really interesting when I watched back Prelude the other week 
was the decision to kind of like set it in a kind of doc like a, it's been re referred to as like a documentary style like as in I, I like the sort of to camera stuff and that really intrigued me because I felt like that was something that obviously I don't think start well I, Star Trek's not really explored that way of, of doing it um, I'm just really intrigued to ask you like what at what point did you decide that was the way you were going to go with it well, we did it because um, I was trying to figure out a way that we could make what we needed to make, which was basically a Kickstarter video. Mm -hmm. We basically needed to make a Kickstarter video that could raise us a big chunk of money. Mm -hmm. And we knew the only way to do that was to have uh, something. We kind of looked at Star Trek Renegades, which had done this teaser trailer with Walter Koenig and Tim Russ in character. And I was like, wow, that's brilliant. Um, how, do we get, how do we do that? And um, it came to me because, um, one, I'm a big World War II buff, so I love watching the History Channel here in the United States, watching their documentaries. Nice. But there was a great episode of MASH, the classic comedy series, called great. The Interview, and it was all shot in black and white. It was, it was done like a newsreel uh, in the 50s, mm -hmm. and it was interviews with the characters um, about their personal feelings about the war. And I said hey, we can do that. We can do it all on green screen. It won't cost us that much. And, and you know, and, uh, and that's kind of how we did it. It was basically, and I pitched it to the director and he loved the idea. And, um, and, and uh, so, yeah, that's how we, that's how we shot it. And uh, so it worked really well. And, um, I'm, I'm yeah, glad I asked you that because that's what I thought. I assumed it was. I assumed that part of the part of your process for wanting to do that was because you wanted to kind of show your sort of the synopsis of what the, the the history of what you were going for by having it within the video in reference to the Kickstarter when you did it. And I just assumed that's why you did it. But it's good to know that that is the reason. But I'm quite interested to know. So leading that into the next the next feature film, is it going to be shot that way, or that was that no. just necessity? No, no, that was just, that was it. The, the, the Axnar is a narrative. Not it's just like any other Star Trek film. So, cool. uh, yeah, we just completed the rewrite, final rewrite of the script. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Rob Burnett says it's the best Star Trek script he's ever read. Excellent, um, excellent. The actors just love it. They just mm -hmm. really engage. So, yeah. Yeah, I was, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was just about to come on to the actors because you have a person in your cast that has that is that has a long history on this podcast which i'll get to in a sec um but um there's obviously a bunch of people i want to talk about because the cast you managed to get in this obviously from star trek law i know who these people were before i even hit so when i read the names and i was like wow you managed to get these guys these are awesome um so i just wanted you to touch on how you know the cast members being involved in this from from the prelude um obviously kate vernon i mean amazing actress like but but one of the things that I wanted to to talk about because I'm a huge Voyager fan is Tony Todd. Is he as big as he looks? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Because <laughs> him is the um, the Alpha Alpha Herogen. I mean, he just I scared yeah. the living shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. no, he's a big guy. He, yeah, he is. He absolutely is. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, how did you get these guys involved? Like Richard Hatch um, and of Gary Graham. Uh, very so that how did you get these guys involved was it was it that you just laid out your plan did you pitch them the idea how did it work first was getting richard hatch because um richard is my uh, acting coach and he all right cool I, i've known him for 20 years and um and i pitched richard and he loved the idea and uh after i got richard i got jg because they know each other and okay. jg who's one of the 
a true gentleman in the industry. He just said, hey, if Richardson, I'm in. Mm-hmm. And then we got um, Gary Graham and Kate Vernon just joined. You know, we pitched them. And then, uh, and then uh, yeah, and then Tony. Nice. So uh, it, it all uh, it, it's uh, it, it was one after another, uh, just asking them and pitching them on our vision and trying to do something different and 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 uh, in the industry that that's uh, appealing to people. Mm-hmm. Did it help? Does it help in any way the fact that uh, Richard has such a, a, a massive, obviously, you know, uh, heavily involved in Battlestar Galactica? For those who don't know, he was uh, he was Apollo and he was in the new, he was in the. You also had a role in the in the, new one. In the new one, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, it, 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 did listen, it help that he was part of something as big as that? Oh, sure, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely. And you know, in a lot of and, and that is the main reason we wanted him as a Klingon because mm-hmm. I didn't want to see Richard Hatch as Richard Hatch. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see him. I didn't want to see Richard Hatch, which is good because a lot of people are like, "Oh, that's Richard Hatch." <laughs> they don't realize it's him. Yeah, which is exactly what we're going for. So that was cool. Good. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. that because I thought I'm glad you mentioned. I'm glad you. I'm glad you said that because I was thinking as I was watching it, knowing because you know again, um, I, uh, as as I mentioned before, my dad was a massive sci-fi fan. His favorite show was Quantum Leap, so um, uh, he uh, he he would watch anything sci-fi related. So we watched Stargate, Star Trek, and various other things. So as soon as Battlestar Galactica, the new series came out, he was absolutely over the moon because he used to watch the originals probably more than any other show. Um, uh-huh. So I knew who he was when i was little you know so one of the things when i watched that and i heard he was in it i'm going oh that's him there the klingon and then i'm going but he's like really well known why are they put him in a <laughs> why are they put him in a clown thing but then when you when you explain it that way that makes a great deal of sense to me to kind of go it's the it's the shock fact well the the unexpected factor of of we're not going to have him as just a regular human we're going to have him we're going to have him as a klingon and it's like it's, it's the same with jg i mean everyone sees jg as a klingon i don't yeah. want him as a klingon i want to see jg Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so yeah, so there's a lot of a lot of decisions there that were made. Also, as like, well, one of the things with the prelude is, which I thought must be a massive extra bonus, not also being great actors, but the the voices they've all got incredibly great voices. I mean, Tony Todd's voice is really, really great and really uh, like sort of pounding. And then you have obviously, you know, as you say, JJ, who's who's just uh, like everybody I, I knew I as soon as he started talking I was brought back to next generation and I'm just going right oh there it is there it is that's that voice I yeah. remember um so even if you didn't recognize him the voice kind of rem, you know rep makes you makes you reminisce right. so I mean did you try and sort of I don't know did you did you want to kind of focus on the voices that everyone was so prominently known or was it just a case of we want to no, just it's make just, them it's just you know uh, yeah I um uh, basically, you, a lot of these roles are written for the actor. Yeah. You know, we get an actor, we say, like Tony Todd, okay, Tony Todd, we decided he shouldn't be a captain, he should be an admiral. Mm-hmm. He should be the admiral. So once you decide that, then you, you know, you, when you learn about Tony as a person, you can extract things and extrapolate on things and, and make the character someone that really. Tony can really relate to. So a strong, powerful admiral is is certainly something you know. Um, st- especially uh, when you you know, if you listen to Tony talk politics, you can see the passion there. Yeah, so you yeah. Tap that. You know, um, JG Herzler really. You know, I and with JG, I just I just having met him and all, I just know you, you write a, a a certain character for him. 
that you know that, that okay, if he's going to be a captain, what kind of captain is, going to, is he going to be? Yeah, exactly. And it just kind of slides into this one role, and you go, yeah, that's it. Now, Kate Vernon, we went totally probably against what she expected. Um, you know, I saw in Kate the ability to be this real, just badass, ass-kicking female captain, which I saw because, you know, I saw her, you know, when she p- plays Ellen Ty in, ba- in, in Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. She's yeah, brilliant in that. She's absolutely brilliant yeah, she's, in that. She's great, yeah. and there's so much strength there. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first she was a little, un- you know, unsure about that role, and I said, no, 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 you, this is so you. You know, and, and we talked to her about um, what was... Uh, what we thought of the role and what we thought she could bring to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and we, we emphasize that it's not, you know, sometimes strong female leaders are portrayed as having masculine qualities. And I said, that's not it. You know, when I coached volleyball many, many years ago, I coached volleyball professionally. Nice. Um, I always said this, the best female volleyball players weren't like male volleyball players they were the best athletes right and so mm-hmm. it's the same thing here leadership qualities aren't the best leadership qualities aren't male meaning forceful and dominant and they're leadership qualities and mm-hmm. those are different for men and female male and female but there's certain commonalities and so she had to find the you know the the as she said the warrior goddess within her and uh, I think she's awesome. And, yeah. Uh, I can't, we wrote, just wrote a scene for her that is just so ass-kicking. People are going to love it. It's, nice. It's really great. So, yeah, so a lot of good stuff. And, and you kind of – I think that's the pleasure as a writer is writing things for these wonderful actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that you, you now that I know them all, that I've worked with them all, that I uh, you know we go out and we have dinner together and we chat and, and I learn about them. Mm-hmm. So speaking of um, so speaking of Gary Graham, because obviously for those that don't know, what, am I right in assuming uh, it's the same character I did in Enterprise, isn't it? I wasn't a huge fan of exactly. Enterprise. I can't remember. Is it Saval? Isn't it? Um, it is. uh, so was there any issue in that in deciding to do that? Whose idea was it to kind of do the character again? That was my idea. Okay. Because um, I, I wanted uh, a touchstone back to Enterprise. Mm-hmm. I wanted uh, one character who we could relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made total sense to me that mm-hmm. he was the character. Um, th- that because Vulcans are extremely long lived, and he would naturally be the Vulcan ambassador of the Federation. And uh, yeah, so it just kind of made sense to me. Mm-hmm. And because and he's awesome. sorry, and he's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, well, he was the guy I was referring to in terms of he is someone we reference in every episode we've done. This is ep- episode eighty-seven, and I'm a huge. Uh, to kind of show again, I'm, and I'm going back to what I was talking about before, but um, uh, I, I obviously grew up in the era of VHS tapes, and my dad, uh, I actually thought this was my older brother's VHS tape, but it actually turned out, my dad told me years later it was his, of Robot Jocks, and I absolutely love that film. It's like one of my favourite things That's to so watch. Um, and uh, I, it's, it's like my dream to meet Gary Graham one day, because that film was, you know how like, there's a joke in like How I Met Your Mother where he, whenever uh, Ted's sick, he'll watch Star Wars. For me, when I was sick at school, I'd go, I would be sick and I'd watch Robot Jocks. Oh, um, wow. So that oh. makes such a, it, it, so we always end the podcast and I always give an homage to Robot Jocks to end the show. 
So that's why when I heard that you well, I obviously knew that Gary Green was in the prelude, so it was kind of like a big. It's a, I, I could I, it's like he's on, you know, of the least of the people I would love to interview one day. He's on he's on it because um, I absolutely adore that film. But um, oh, we'll get him. Oh, I would I would love that would that would be a dream of mine because as I say, please do pitch that to him in terms of me saying the whole uh, the whole that I I mention him every single podcast. So <laughs> I hope he appreciates it. <laughs> but no, he's way, really cool. Also, let's also mention that um, if you're watching this right now, uh, you cool. can still donate to Axnar. Yes, Go I was to going to touch on that. Yes. SaveTheFederation.com. Mm -hmm. Our our Indiegogo campaign remains open. Um, you, you can donate to it and, and contribute to the cause. Awesome. Yes, that's that that's that's well worth knowing. It's one of the things the great thing about Twitch is is this gets straight recorded straight onto the channel so people can rewatch this as many times as they want. And it'll and it'll end up on the audio as well as the podcast because that's the main thing that we're known for is the podcast. But um so anyway, yeah, so um so yeah, there's that is it true because this is Garrett Wang's gonna be on our show next year, which I'm usually excited for. Is it true that Garrett's in this in the in the next one? Yeah, we we have not struck a deal yet. Let me just say that I, I met with him last week. We, uh, we we've been talking for a year now, um, and I don't want to say definitely yes until he and I have a, a signed deal. But we love Garrett; he's awesome. We've offered him a role of a Klingon that we're very, very excited about. Um, and so, uh, knock wood, everything should uh, everything goes well. So yeah, we're, we're we love Garrett. He's he Garrett is. Um, let me tell you, of all the actors that you will see at a Star Trek convention, no one works harder than Garrett. I'm, I'm and, nodding and I'm, because I've heard that so many times, you know. Absolutely. Just, yeah. and, and he is so engaged with every single person that walks in front of – genuinely engaged with every single person that walks in front of his table. Um, it is really awe-inspiring and it's uh, inspirational to me because um, I asked him, you know, it, it, listen, it, it's – I have I have a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the of the of the notoriety that Garrett Wong does, <laughs> um, but uh, and I get people coming up to me all the you know all the time at start at the Star Trek Las Vegas convention that just happened. People come up to me and like you know and are gushing about Axnar and it's very you know you you ride their emotions and as as Garrett says and and you you give it back to them because they deserve it. Your fans deserve your investment nice and um i'm i'm always in awe of the fact that we have fans and so uh but for garrett to do it to every single person that ever comes up to him no matter what mood he is in no matter how much caffeine he needs you know no matter how whatever <laughs> the most of me i and tell him i said this he oh, is the most amazing star trek fan you could ever want mm -hmm. you, 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 i wish every star trek actor could he embraces it, yeah. I have a, uh, there's a there's a friend of the podcast who um who I was tweeting who I, who I tweet who's going to be part of uh, FCD events and we were talking about he was there for last year's one and they all said the people who work on that in that convention here in the UK how much of a gentleman he is and how much he embraces the fact that he is part of the Star Trek universe because I think if 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 I think if we were both to be objectionable about um about Star Trek. Like some of the people that are involved in Star Trek, there are a certain number of people who kind of, 
And I know there's it. There was I once read a, an article on the internet that said all the like actresses and actors who just dismiss ever being in Star Trek, like people who did guest appearances on Next Generation and a bunch of others who just just deny they ever were a part of it. Uh, I, I think the most famous one that I can come to think of was it Terry Terry Thatcher. She had a guest appearance on um, Next Generation, and she just denies ever being part of it. Um, but uh, but yes, but. Garrett to is the other end of the spectrum. Like he would be like, he's just like, do you know I was in Star Trek? Like, but in a nice way, in a nice way, because he was such a fan of. Uh, he was a fan before he was part of Voyager. I, I seem to remember as well. So, um, but yeah, everyone who I ever speak to who's seen him have said how much of a huge, how much of a hugely nice guy he is, and he's yeah, he willing to give time up and everything. So I really do hope he's part of it. Uh, just as well, just to, to please you, Alec, because um, we're streaming this on another site as well. I've actually already had a few messages saying people are going to donate. And they didn't know about this, so this is excellent. Um, so huge thank you to everyone who's doing that on behalf of that. that that's one of the reasons we do this. So I'm super happy. Um, but yeah, so uh, in one of the things I want to touch about because you know, uh, as a person who runs a small business, which is what I do, um, and we are in the process of of doing our own productions, and we're going to do a Kickstarter uh, sometime next year, actually. Um, uh, for a web series and I always want to ask that as being an anorak of production I've worked on BBC productions and various other things and I have to say looking at your Indiegogo <coughs> project I absolutely you know had a geek dance enjoyment about what about looking at the the warehouse you guys bought and the the sound stage and everything and I just want you to touch on you know how difficult that was um and and what and like why you you know I, I get I know you kind of touched on it earlier because you wanted to look as good as possible but is that the reason uh, is that the reason why you did it and how difficult was it to put together yeah it, it's very difficult because you don't realize all the expenses that come with um with building a studio out I mean it was one thing to get the warehouse space which was expensive um our rent is like twelve and a half thousand dollars a month um and uh, but you know if we went we couldn't do this if if, if we went to rent a soundstage in L.A. because <clears throat> first of all it takes forever to build the sets unless you have a lot of money to hire a crew yeah. and and you and it costs thirty five thousand dollars a month to rent a soundstage of similar size you know in up in Valencia where we are in L.A. so um, we're trying to do it the most economical way possible, but also in a way that's going to allow us to make Star Trek ongoing. It's not just Axnar, but we, you know, after Axnar, we're going to be producing Tales of the Four Years' War, which is a, a, an anthology series where you're going to follow different characters in the Four Years' War. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, yeah, so that's kind of um, uh, the, the, the studio. When we were doing the Kickstarter last year, we had uh, we were going to rent a space. We were going to rent twenty thousand square feet of space for six thousand dollars a month. It was an insanely good deal. That's, insanely that's ridiculous. Yeah, as soon as you said that, I, I nearly fainted. <laughs> so that's yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah it was. It was, it, it, it was like you know less than a third of the price of what we would. Well, that fell through because the company. It was a form a pharma company, you know, a pharmaceutical company that had the space, and and uh, the week we went to sign the lease, they. At the FDA here in the United States approved their inhalable insulin, like, you know, inhalable rather than shoot it up, and which is huge. And so the company immediately got bought by a Chinese company, which then said, don't rent anything to anyone. And so, <laughs> oh, so that always happens. Damn it. <laughs> God, screwed by scientific invention. And uh, so then we had to find a new place, and it literally took us six months 
to find a suitable facility. Yeah. Um, we went through a couple places that were just too small. Mm-hmm. And, um, and finally, when we found the right place, we, we struck a deal. We were the first bid on, you know, it came on the market literally like on a Monday. We saw it on Tuesday. We put in our offer on Wednesday and they approved it on Thursday or Friday. Mm-hmm. We, because it's so hard to get space here. Now, we're in a place called Valencia, which is about a half hour north of L.A., okay. of, of, of Hollywood. Yeah. And um, it's where a lot of filming is done because there's a lot of warehouse space that can be converted into sound stages. Mm-hmm. But there's so little space available that when the space comes on the market, it gets sucked up right away. So yeah. in order to do what we were doing, you know, we had to basically um, make, a, make, a, make a move. It wasn't ideal. It's not air conditioned, which kind of sucks. But um, especially in Valencia, which is very hot. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're, we're filming in wintertime, so it won't be a problem. So, you know, it's, it's – um, I'm always amazed, you know, people think things just happen like that. I've been an entrepreneur for 20 years. This is – Action Art Productions is the fifth, sixth small business I've started. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still constantly amazed at how different different this is than any other business I built. I mean I built a – technology company that had uh, 67 employees and in, in, in offices in four countries. And it, this is so much more difficult than that because, mm-hmm. you know, you're dealing with – now I'm dealing with the government. Oh, you want to modify that building? You've got to do this and you've got to do this. And oh, it's a nightmare and it, not, not something we expected. It, it, oh, God. I mean, you know, I, I, I understand completely because I've only, you know, I'm 27 and I've had this, I've run this business, you know, I feel privileged that I've managed to have a business that's been successful for the couple of years that I've done it. But the amount, I understood the amount of hard work, but one of the things that we've been looking into is to get our own theater space so we can do live podcasts in Newcastle where we're based and... Yeah, you, 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 I just like I'd be, I'd sit down and miss meetings and go, that shouldn't be too difficult. And then, then they go, but I realize you got to pay this, you got to pay this, you got to pay this, you got to pay this. And then I just went, oh, we can find a building where you can, you can, we, we, you know, if we find a building that no one's using, we can just, nope, nope, that's not how it works. Like you've got to get, you got, you got to get someone, to, even that requires permission, and you got to like yeah. someone else owns it and all this kind of stuff. And you just suddenly go, oh my god, that idea just went out the window. So. So am I right in saying the sort of the the sort of clarity of what you just said is that it was either build your own studio or you couldn't do it because of the costs were too high? Is that well, basically yeah. it? So the, the original vision, my original vision, was to shoot it on the the sets of Star Trek: New Voyages up in mm-hmm. New York. Yeah, that was my original vision, and and um and to you know and what we're doing now, if we had been, if we had had that mindset. Unfortunately, my previous director, um, Christian Gossett, didn't want to do that. And so it was like, no, that's not an option. We can't shoot there. And I was like, well, if we don't shoot there, we've got to build our own sets. Yeah. And he was pushing for building our own sets and getting our own studio. And um, if if we had gone with my original vision, Axonar would be done by now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now... It would, have been, it would have been the best fan film ever made, but it would have been the quality of what we're producing. Mm-hmm. And so we're producing something really amazing. And, and um, so it's, gonna, it's more expensive and more time-consuming than we 
than we had planned. And it's just, that's just something we have to deal with. But that's something that you, you, you touched on that great, I think. And that's something all businesses share is that the, the main thing that you focus on is whatever your product is, you try and make it as good as you can. So it doesn't matter how, how difficult it is or whatever it is. If the product is worthwhile at the end of it, then that you, you do, you do whatever it takes. Um, so it's it, true. Yeah. That, that, that's absolutely true. I, I, you know, my mom always taught me that, um, you, you never regret paying for quality. Mm-hmm. That's what she said. Yeah, and yeah. it's true. I, I you know, uh, I, we, we, we good, joke good, here good in the United point. States, we have, a, we have one of our department stores is Nordstrom, which is probably like Harrods over there in the UK. Okay. You know, it's, very, it's, it's a very good quality store. Um, and that's where I shop. I don't shop at Walmart, okay? <laughs> not, not, you know, God bless the people who shop at Walmart, but I've learned over my 54 years on this earth that if I pay for something at Nordstrom, I get my value out of it. Mm-hmm. I spend more, and but it lasts longer, and I get more enjoyment out of it. Mm-hmm. So um, it's the same thing here. A lot of our fans, I'd say most of our fans, they follow us on Facebook. They follow our website, which has updates every single day. There's an update on our website. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they are part of the acts in our culture, and, mm-hmm. and they – and they they get what we're doing and they buy into it and they want they don't want to settle and they're like take your time you need more money we'll give it to you make make Axonar as good as Prelude make Axonar as good as the the Vulcan trailer that that you, you, we we you know we we produced the first scene from Axonar and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, uh, I just want to touch on because this is something you meant in Prelude. There's a lot of and you touched on it when you said you had the you know the the, the close close shots of the guys talking because of the documentary style that it had and i'm really wanting to ask you about green screen and special effects and whatnot because that's something that seems to always be in a transition you know you watch something in the 90s for example like for um i'm thinking of like you know there's a there's a huge series called red dwarf over here that i'm a huge fan of and and i watched a documentary of that not long ago where they were saying there was a there was a huge special effects transition from the first series they did to like the sixth and that was only a five six year period you know so and they done like three or four series during that time and there just there was a huge difference now i mean com- that was 1996 compare that to now and it's mind-blowing to think of how fat far it's gone and i just want to ask you like in relation to because usually in the 90s you know i think sort of babylon 5 became that was the was the sort of mecca for this was it became the thing, but it was very expensive to do. And I'm just wanting to ask you in relation to when, with Prelude losing a lot of special effects and whatnot, you know, what's the difference now? I mean, you know, how how difficult was it to 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 get that good a quality on screen? Well, um, you know, with Prelude, Tommy Craft from Star Trek Horizon, which is another amazing yeah, great Star Trek fan film, great, great, great. really, it takes place in the Enterprise era. Mm-hmm. Um, Tommy did all the the comping, all the the green screen work, and and he's a twenty well now he's probably twenty two year old young man filmmaker, does all his own stuff, and he did an amazing job for us. He, you know, so um, I, that kind of shows you where the state of the art has gone. Um, now Tobias Richter did the stuff on the Vulcan scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's our VFX supervisor, and his stuff is amazing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, I think what has happened is like other things, the state of the art has advanced so much that that they more and more people can do a high quality of work. Mm-hmm. And so 
you know, that's that's where we are. Mm-hmm. I think there's a bit. It's, it's one of the benefits of having everything to be freely accessible. Is that a little bit? There's there's a lot of people starting a lot sooner. You know, with special effects stuff and um and having a ten. You know, as you say, like you know, there could be someone who has a ten year experience and they're twenty five because they started at fifteen. You know, as opposed to. Yep. A lot, yeah. early, a lot earlier when you know it was a person who maybe might have started special a new set of special effects when they spent twenty years doing it a different way, and so that's it's what we joke about on the video on the Twitch channel is we joke about this in relation to video games because I joke that I don't, I feel I'm like competent in games now whereas if you got me playing the console I played growing up I think I would torch everybody but I I, I can't do that now because I'm like learning a new console that kids who are getting that console for the first time have a head start because they're playing it all the time and that's right, that's exactly. the only game they know um so i think that transitions in all forms of uh, all forms of stuff and i think uh, special effects is a good example of that um but yeah no and and uh, uh, I, I keep thinking whenever special effects comes up it's like garrett wang um not garrett wang um that's garrett wang's thingy and um, what's the guy's name he's on youtube I, f- I forgot his name now but he's hugely great i think it's something wang I'm sure there may be someone in in chat correcting me, but um, there's there's a bunch of YouTubers anyway who do special effects who are just phenomenally good. So, um, so I always think of that in general. But um, in terms of so in terms of the future stuff, I mean, it, it says on the it's it, it's you know it's been brought out in the news that you are, are you going to start production? You supposed to start production at the end of the year? Is this uh, uh, is this is this happening? That is that happening? Yeah, January is what we anticipate. Um, uh, uh, when when we'll start shooting? Right mm-hmm. now, it's the second half of January. It's kind of what we're shooting for. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is it to be out sometime early next year. Is that the case for the actual yeah. film? Yep. Um, we hope to have. Well, right now we're we're. I think we're going to wind up with um, half the the budget to do half the film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, based on what we've raised so far, we're like, okay, so it looks like we've got half the. We're going to have half the money. We have about four hundred thousand dollars. Um, so we'll be doing the first half of the movie, which we think we'll get out in March or April, actually, because most of the special effects will be done before then, mm-hmm. because we're, we're working on them now. We're, it's actually a little backwards. We're actually doing the live action after yeah. the visual effects, but now that we have a lo- locked script. It's good that you kind of own all that as well, because I remember there's always funny stories about if people do special effects earlier and then they change the plot. You've now got special effects that don't make sense. So at least if you're telling them now and you don't change it, then that's then that that uh, that it all works out that way. Right, and that's why you have a locked script. You have yeah. a script that, you, like, look, this is the script. Dialogue dialogue may change, but the plot's not going to change. The scenes aren't going to mm-hmm. change. The characters aren't going to change. It's yeah. It's just it's funny because if you ever read any sort of BBC history, it's like whenever I worked on the productions and they used to joke that that used to happen a lot when special effects first came to pom- like prominence in TV is that sure. they would do the special effects and model shots beforehand, and then yeah. because when they actually went to shoot the, the 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 scenes with the actors, they would change a part of the script and then they would be like, well, hang on a minute, we've got a special effects thing we right. spent all this yeah. money on, and right. if you change this, so the, the if a scene didn't work. You'd find a scene put in anyway because they spent all the money on the special effects. So they were like, "Well, you can't do that because we've now got we've just spent fifty grand on this two minute bit of a screen and we can't use it." So, yeah, it's just very very interesting um, that the way that it's gone. But um, I always ask this in relation to people, you know, heading towards the end of the podcast because we've got a few minutes left. Is to just talk about. Um, your future plans. I mean, I know you'll be, and I know because I know how businesses work. I mean, obviously, you're always going to have a, a sort of long term goal. But what's the sort of, do you ever think beyond 
yeah, beyond the future film, or is it just get let's see how this goes? Absolutely. No, absolutely. We're always thinking beyond the future film. Um, it's uh, as I said, we're going to do Tales of the Four Years War next, mm-hmm. um, but we're also looking for non Star Trek projects to do. Cool. That's really important to us as well. And um, uh, uh, but we want to um, uh, uh, for Axonar, uh There's Tales of the Four Years War will be the next series. And then there's a series of books we're going to start doing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, we have Sci-Fi Film School, which is going to be a film school here in the United States. That's uh, It's going to be a five-day program where you come and work on the sets, on all the acts in our sets. Brilliant. And learn from the cast and crew. That sounds brilliant. Um, yeah. And then there's Axicon, which is the first uh, ever Star Trek convention for Star Trek Axonar fans. Nice. So when's that which happening? Is- uh, it's it's spring. Horizon. We haven't set dates yet, but, uh, but it's it's springtime, mm-hmm. and um, it's going to be cool because being here in LA, the Friday, the first day of the convention, you come in, and on Friday we take you to Vasquez Rocks, and which is a famous location that every you know it seems like every Star Trek has visited, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, Tillman Water Treatment Plant, which is Starfleet headquarters. So you get to visit those two sets, and then um, then we have some fun things planned for the evening. Saturday is a much more traditional Star Trek convention, which will be panels and guests and so on and so forth and then um uh and then sunday is uh uh we actually film on the sets with uh, all the people who are attending the convention nice so that sounds that sounds awesome um yeah. so I, I i all of these you say is just like it's 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 a huge hey, thank you so much for doing this this has really been fun uh, i've really enjoyed getting to getting to know more about this project because as i say i I just wanted to quickly touch on this because I wanted to say how I first heard about you was through San Diego. I actually watched the trailer when they released it. Um, so I just wanted to quickly ask you, like, how imperative and how helpful was it to be to be given, you know, given the trailer was, you know, was played at San Diego Comic Con? Like, how how beneficial was that? You mean when we premiered? Yeah, when we premiered it, yeah. Yeah, the premiere was awesome. Um you know, we rent out a theater, and it was it was really a lot of fun, um, and uh, it was um, it helped us because it put us on the map, and it and it made people know, wow, these guys are serious, and this looks amazing, and you know, it wasn't just um, it wasn't just a fan film, and uh, um, so yeah, I think um, I'm I was I am very big on doing the things that not only give you the give people the impression that you are legit but really make you legit that mm-hmm. make you look this is how a big time studio works this is how a uh, you know you, you premiere a movie this is you know and it may be in our small little way but it's the the way things are done and mm-hmm. and and hold yourself as if you are what you what you aspire to be yeah no it's great and i think one of the things that I love about doing this podcast as well as being running a business myself is that when you start speaking to people like who start with with something and generate it into this big thing, is that it, it really does come down to what you touched on in the podcast earlier of believing that it's possible. That's that's such a huge a huge motivational factor. And you find if you have that attitude, things will happen. Um and I think, you know, it, it's yep. amazing because, you know, the transition that we've had and the uh, and the other people that we've spoken to like a friend of mine uh runs a board game company that he started on kickstarter he wanted i think it was eight thousand pound he generated like over a hundred thousand pound or something ridiculous and 
turned his company into a full-fledged company and now he's working with ITV and a bunch of other people and so you know he's it, it that's a perfect example of what you can do and I think I mean I want to touch on this because obviously it's an important part of what you generate how you generated the money I mean what's your view on on the crowdfunding that's out there now because that's something that's just now become I dare I say like the norm for a lot of people and I, and and even though it's a relatively new thing I mean what how, how how do you view sort of Indiegogo, Kickstarter and stuff like that in terms of it helping you? Well, obviously, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing if it wasn't for Kickstarter and Indiegogo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, but it's not an easy undertaking um, and people need to understand that. We, we have a full-time uh, uh, fulfillment director, Diana, who's my girlfriend, and uh, she, thank God she, she does this for us because she's good at it and she has a lot of retail and, and customer support experience. And she's amazing, and um, and but you know that's you know when you get ten thousand donors, you have a lot of responsibility. Exactly. And yeah. so, you know, and so it's not easy. And I, I urge people to really do the research on it to understand what they they, they need need to undertake. Mm-hmm. Oh, but definitely. It's a great way to fund projects. Mm-hmm. And, so I, fund a, I right. fund projects all the time. I'll mm-hmm. give twenty five, fifty, a hundred dollars here and there. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always finding fascinating projects. Yeah, yeah, and and if you talk to anyone in particular um, in the board game industry for Kickstarter, it's like it's the it's the greatest supply and demand. Oh. Yeah, supply and demand. It's literally what it is. Is because if you look at like the example I always give is you know being being a video game fan is uh, I've said this on the podcast before, but take for example a game like tomb raider when they redid tomb raider ea they lost money on that even though it was a bestseller and part of the reason for it is because they still have this mindset of that they're gonna um sell a certain amount of copies so they have over they they over they over budget on how well it's gonna do so even if it does as great as it did it couldn't have gone any better they've still lost money because they've got a bunch of games on in a pile that they haven't sold Whereas one of the great things about Kickstarter, which like Larry Rosnier runs Mayfair, he told me this the best. He told me this the best, was he just said it's fantastic even for someone like us who he regards Mayfair as like the big fish in the rest of the pond. If you take out like Hasbro and Mattel, um, that he said it's great because we just go, how many people want this to be made? Go kick, put it on Kickstarter. People go like we like 2000 people want this game made. Great, but let's make 2000 copies and you, you don't have any over costs then. Um, and it's just phenomenal in that sense. So it's great for that in that sense. And I suppose, is it fair for me to say with, with you having a project like this, you know what you can, you know how much you've got to work with. Does that make it a lot easier as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, you know, uh, that, that's exactly it. We know what our budget is now for the movie and mm-hmm. we're going to, that m- money's going to be spending, you know, it's going to be put in an account and they're going to have to work. There's no going back to the studio and asking for more money. Mm. You know, it's like that's your budget. Work towards that budget. Mm. I think that's really important. Was there any? Was there? A, was there a point at all? Like, was there a? Was there a limited amount that you couldn't have done it for? I imagine there would be. But... Oh yeah. I mean, it, well, it all depends. I mean, we could make a movie for two hundred grand, but it's going to be look like a fan film, right? Yeah, yeah. So you want, uh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so it's it's all yeah. You can do it for whatever you have. Mm-hmm. Um, but you want but obviously. The, Money is quality. Yeah, Money exactly. 
yeah, definitely. Couldn't agree more. Um, so for those that are interested, you can go to StarTrekAnaxa.com. And as uh, the guys are in the chat right now, you can go to Indiegogo.com forward slash projects forward slash uh, Star Trek well, Anaxa. Save the Federation.com. Don't even give them that URL. Just say save the Federation.com. Oh, takes you right to okay Google fine say the federation.com okay cool uh, and do have a look guys and you can still donate to the indiegogo project as uh, alex said um it's awesome and uh i, I employ you guys to re-watch as well the prelude which is on the youtube channel which uh um which is amazing and i re-watched that several couple of weeks ago and it was awesome so huge thank you for doing this film as a as a star trek fan um i'll say like i mentioned in the introduction just to end the shows to say that when I watched that back, as I said in the introduction, that it just felt like it felt like a, a Star Trek film, and it felt like, like a Star Trek thing, like a like it did the the series. Because I'm rewatching Voyager and Next Generation right now, and it reminded me of them, but it felt like a sort of modernized version of it, which I think is what I think people expected JJ's to be. But it was kind of was, but kind of wasn't because I just didn't feel like. When I watched Into Darkness, the way I described it was that I just felt like there wasn't an, any heart in it. It didn't feel like it, there, there wasn't any sort of substance in it. And it really does look like that's what's going to happen with, with, with your feature film. So I'm really looking forward to seeing it. So huge thank you for doing this. It was really fun. Um, Pleasure. Uh, and uh, good luck with everything. I uh, hope everything all works out. Um, so a huge thank you to everyone. Thank you so much for to, to Alex for being on. Um, I'll just go back to the main screen of me. So a huge thank you to everybody. Uh, really, really do appreciate it. Uh, this will be on our Twitch channel, uh, the, the, the video version, which you'll see now as an exclusive till we put it on, on our audio, uh, put it on our website and on iTunes and whatnot. Uh, so you, so this will be available to view for to your heart's content. Um, but huge thank you to Alec. I really do really do love star trek uh, and i really was really excited to do this i'm really glad it happened and i really do check uh, employ you guys to all check out check out the stuff but um as i mentioned to alec uh, i'll end the podcast like i always end in the words of the great film robot jocks crash and burn and uh, i'll see you guys very soon for the next edition of the geek populous podcast but stay tuned on our twitch because we're going about to play elder scrolls online in about 15 minutes time but huge thank you guys uh, huge thank you to alex and i'll see you guys all very soon thanks a lot Bye. You're listening to the audio version of the Geek Apocalypse podcast, brought by yours truly, Mr. Resident Geek, Stephen Hesse. We are available on iTunes, as well on www.geekapocalypse.com. Broadcast live and exclusively from Newcastle, England, in good old UK. We also have a YouTube account, which is www.youtube.com forward slash geekapocalypse, where we'll be, we'll, we will be uploading all the videos from our podcast, as well as from Twitch. Speaking of Twitch, we are also just starting a Twitch account, which you can find at www.twitch.tv forward slash geekapocalypse, where you can follow us to find out all the streaming we will be doing on said site. Also, you can, if you want to know everything that we're absolutely up to, you can follow us on Twitter, which is at geek underscore apocalypse. Thank you so much for tuning in and enjoy being a geek.